Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. back it's jay scott it's the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast appreciate you coming by and tuning in and giving us a listen don't forget to write us a review when you get a chance and hit the follow like or whatever button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to we are part of the pantheon podcast network so check out them at pantheonpodcast.com and all social media uh instagram twitter facebook at pantheon pods as well as the hook rocks on instagram twitter and facebook at the hook rocks and you can check out all the episodes we've done recently we just did our phil lewis interview of la guns we had matt wake talking the new la guns album with a review episode as well as our 
first quarter of 2023 album review. We also had Metadad and Josh Kennedy from the Black Moods, as well as Jared James Nichols and Tuck Smith talking about their upcoming tour. So that's really exciting to uh, to have. And those guys were great. Really fun conversation. Uh, Tuck really adds a uh, fun element to any conversation. So check that out when you get a chance. And we are approaching our 500th episode and four-year anniversary in the next couple months. So be on the lookout for some news and some content that we'll be doing for that as well. Um, can't believe it's been that long. Can't believe we've done that many episodes. But uh, we do enjoy talking music. And what started out as a hobby has now become a, a little bit bigger than I initially anticipated. But that's fine. That's great. That's awesome. And uh, one of the guests or the guests that we're having on today is a guest that uh, I think this is their fourth time they've been on the show. They've got a new album out called The Fourth Album. That's kind of weird. The Fourth Visit on The Fourth Album. So, and coming up on uh, on uh, four years. That's uh, I think I should go play a, a, an instant lotto ticket at the uh, at the <laughs> gas station after this. But nevertheless, it's one of my favorite bands, and it's a band from the Midwest, from Wisconsin. That band is Bourbon House, and the guests are Jason and Lacey. What's happening? How are you? Hi, Jay. We're Hi. doing great. Congratulations on 500 episodes. That's yeah, great. it's coming. It's coming. I can't believe I'm like, geez, I've sat in front of this computer how many times and done this? So um, yeah. I, I'm at the point where I can remember people who I've had on, but I can't remember what I talked about. So yeah. um, <laughs> that's fine. The new album, uh, the fourth album came out at the end of March. Uh, kind of surprised me. I didn't anticipate you guys. I know you. we, we talked at the Miramar show in Milwaukee when you guys were opening for Jared James Nichols, you said it was going to be coming out soon. I didn't know it was going to be that soon. And a pleasant surprise. And a lot of the songs that are on there have been the singles that you've been releasing over the last six months or so. But there's a lot more in there, too, as well. Happy to see more material coming out of the album into the red. Where was the direction you guys wanted to go with this? Um, hmm. I think we just wanted to keep doing what we were doing because with um, Into the Red, we really figured out who we were and what kind of album we wanted to make. And I think that was the first album where everything was um, balanced properly, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of content. You know, we had a couple of slower songs, a couple of ballads, a couple of sad songs, and then we got the blues rock and Everything was in there. It was kind of storyboarded very well. And we thought we should just keep making albums like that mm-hmm. um, without repeating ourselves. So yeah, keep them uh, dynamic. I guess we're always trying to write a dynamic album. And so we were like, uh, when we're writing, we're writing right now for the fifth one. We're always like, okay, what do we already have, you know, enough of or too much of? Like, we don't want to keep doing. We don't want an entire album of just blues rock fun songs, you know. We want to put shit in there that's more dynamic. Mm-hmm. So that's <laughs> that's kind of um, how we approach all of the albums. The difference is, is that you guys have kind of seem to have settled on the band, right? I know there was a lot of interchange 
in between, you know, the drummer and bass player for. Oh God, years. we have not settled, Jay. <laughs> oh, we haven't settled. So what's no, the news no. with that? I didn't. I didn't hear anything. Yeah, um, it's because we've kind of stopped talking about it. I would say <laughs> we're okay. just like it's just. It's um, basically a rock. <laughs> Bourbon House is basically a rock duo. Yeah. It's always been that way. We've tried to present ourselves as a four-piece band where each member uh, is uh, contributing equally or cares equally, mm -hmm. but that's never been the case. It's always just been the two of us. Mm -hmm. We've always wanted to include people. We always kind of wanted a four-piece band where everybody was, you know, doing their part. Um so we've, you know, we've allowed ourselves to be charmed a lot. And um, now we're kind of just like, no, just just rhythm for hire is is what we're doing at this point. Yeah, I imagine that's probably the, the path of least resistance. I mean, you know, it is difficult to maintain a band. It's very difficult. I mean, we've just heard news of like probably I can think of off the top of my head a handful of bands since the fall that have changed members, significant members, singers, guitar players. Yes. Um, it's just indicative of what the industry is right now. And, yes. And it's not, you know, people make the assumption that people may be difficult and it's more or less about, like you said, it's a different animal right now. You have to be on the road in order to build an audience. You can't sit back and play mm. on social media and connect them. You have to do that. Don't get me wrong. But you really got to get in front of people. And mm -hmm. if someone's really not invested emotionally in that and understands that there is a grind that you have to do, and there's going to be days where you just want to be home in your comfy bed. But if you really want, truly want to do this, you got to get out there and sacrifice. You got to get out there and do the grind. It's, it's hard to find people that are really willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the pay is not there anymore, you know. Um, a band used to go out on the road and they could kind of make a living yeah. <laughs> from day to day, from show to show. But now that's not the case. So mm -hmm. now if you go out on the road, you might have to quit your job and then go tour for free. Mm -hmm. Nobody's willing to do that. And I don't blame them. Um, yeah. So we we try to play those shows that get us the most while doing the least such as playing a large show or a festival where, you know, you go play one or two shows, mm -hmm. but you're playing in front of over a thousand people each time. Um, that's better than going from dive bar to dive bar all across the food to plane. You're never going to get anywhere yeah. doing that. That's kind of where we're at right now with the, with touring. Um, we're not going to really grind it out necessarily on the road um, anymore. That's not, that's not the idea for us, it's, but just for the venues, you know, that we're playing at, we are just going for uh quality over quantity, I guess, if that makes sense. If there's like a great tour opportunity that comes up, that makes sense. But to go out as headlining, just like small clubs with the gas prices, the way they are with the attendance, the way it is, it's just. The clubs don't want to pay more than $200 to yeah. show up. I mean, I'm not driving to Pittsburgh for 200 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've had four guests, two different shows in the last month. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I had Meta Dead and Josh Kennedy, Dead Deads, and the Black Moods touring together. 
and Jared James Nichols and Tuck Smith touring together. And they mentioned mm-hmm. like, sharing costs, like making it mm-hmm. as efficient as possible. You know, yeah. one van um, trying to use the same, you know, stage help that, you know, each band, you know, can use. And it seemed to has worked in that mode where you're trying to like, not cut costs, but keep your costs to a bare minimum. And, you know, the same drum set for both bands, Um, you you know, all that kind of stuff. And it, it, it seems to work. I guess the biggest thing, the biggest problem that was, that Tuck talked about in the interview was there's five to seven holds on venues now for Mm. bands because everybody's out there at the same time. So it's hard to find venues to go and tour. And like you said, Jason, if you're going to go to Pittsburgh for $200, you not just want to go to Pittsburgh. You want to hit a few different places in that market so you can maximize your Mm -hmm. expense and your costs. And that's difficult to do because... A, there's not a lot of clubs left after the pandemic. And two, mm-hmm. there's a lot of bands out there touring where it's yeah. just hard right now. Are you, yes. are you seeing the same things? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't book our, we have an agent who does that, but um, a, a lot of his venues have either closed, you know, like you said, or they're like scaling back on music or yes, they're booked out. They're crazy booked out because so many bands are so many independent bands are touring and um I don't don't really know why. They're doing it for free. They're doing <laughs> it because they why? enjoy so it. They're, they're do, or they're doing it for show. There's no money in that. You know, um I don't know. That's that's why we don't really do it very mm-hmm. much. Uh we'll play like a rock fest show if there's gonna be thousands of people we'll do that for free like it's not really it's not about money necessarily um on the road but if we're playing in front of people that's i mean that's what you want to do so there's no point in playing these little dive bars that don't have a crowd yeah it's very 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 hard to make money playing playing shows or touring i should say i mean it's one thing if you're within driving distance of your home but if you're touring Mm -hmm. very hard to make money you need to be getting a thousand dollars a show and most Buyers only want to pay about two hundred, which means you need to sell eight hundred dollars in shirts every night. How are you going to do that when there's only four people there? Two of them are bartenders. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's how most shows are going to be. Unless you reach a certain level, you might be able to sell twenty, thirty tickets. You're still not going to do a thousand dollars a show. Mm-hmm. Not as an independent band. That's what we're talking about. I don't know. It's it, yeah. it's harder. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I don't think, especially on the difficult to book shows front, it's not going to be like that forever. I just think it's everybody's out touring because of the pandemic stunted everything and delayed a lot of things. So now you have like the swell of, of yeah. music coming out and everybody, you know, we all know now that the tour, the, the album supports the tour, basically, you know, that's, that's the, that's the new phrase in music whereas the tour supported the album back then so now you have all these albums coming out you have all these bands playing that it's just crazy about how much live music is coming out how much music is is being put out by by bands but you look at like the chicago area and even in wisconsin i don't think there's ever been a difficulty of of clubs closing in the midwest and certainly in this in this area um Mm -hmm. but you know, when you get to other markets, 
where there's one or two clubs, it's, you know, it's yeah. to maintain a business that way. Yeah, absolutely. So the new album, let's get back to that. The fourth album has come out in March and outside of Into the Red, you know, you kind of were, were finding your sound and looking for diversity in your music. As far as the story for this album goes, what is it? What's the difference in here? Like I said, we kind of touched on it a little bit with Into the Red, but when you're creating this music for this album and you're de- still developing your sound and in, in, in coming up with songs and writing songs, mm-hmm. what what direction, how did you decide in what direction to go to? Um, well, I think we're always going for a vibe with our songs. So um, we wanted to go in the same direction. Like I think that we like, we really know that people are resonating with our, like our blues rock sound um, more than anything. So we're like, that's, you know, that's us. Um, and then we just try to, you know, decide on the kind of songs we want. We wanted on the album. Like the direction was just um, vibe forward. That's how I would explain it. I don't know if you. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. I think people, I think a lot of people are still loving the seventies music and even eighties music, which mm-hmm. is almost the reflection of it. And so instead of um, trying, instead of blending in with the modern, um, Mm-hmm. modern rock we try to have a retro sound and a lot of times it's just something like let's write a song like slow ride or have mm-hmm. we ever tried to write a song like space trucking you know what i mean uh, let's try to write a song like uh, white rabbit or whatever mm-hmm. we hear a song we're like, man i love this song and i know millions of people love this song but nobody's making music like this anymore we should do that that's kind of how songs originate mm-hmm yeah and you're also we, telling a story. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're also telling a story in your songs too. You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. storyboard at the beginning of the conversation, and, and your songs are very reflective of that inside the lyrics and the way the approaches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We do like to tell stories. We're storytellers. <laughs> we write stuff. <laughs> oh, it's a, you know, it's a different. I mean, there there's songs that are written with you know lyrically, and then there's stories within a song. And yeah. you know, it seems like you know the image has always been very important to you guys. The imagery of what you're singing about and what you're playing about. Mm-hmm. How how do you how do you determine that storyboard, that imagery when you're writing? Is that part of the writing process of, of the vision of it, or is it does that follow the lyrics? Yeah, sometimes, um, you know, if we're going to write something like we'll just use like High Road Gypsy, for example, um, you know, we were going for a obviously like a 70s kind of hippie um, on the road thing when we were writing the song. You know, we already have the imagery kind of in our head um, and it always seems to work out when we send the song to our to our director she's almost always thinking the exact same thing like she's like this is the vibe i'm getting we're like great that's what we wrote it for you know so yeah yeah the music video director yeah um yeah we don't really storyboard the the album in the sense of like what is this album about Mm -hmm. oh it's song by song what kind of story are we going to tell um each song can tell its own story and we've never really tried to have any cohesive message 
you know, like a, uh, you know, like a concept album. Although we picked that around. Yeah, we thought for, about for it. For a short time. And <laughs> we almost kind of did it with the fourth album where the songs are about being on the run and doing bad things and getting into trouble and maybe being less than an honorable citizen. Uh, it has sort of an outlaw yeah. theme to it. Um, we, we thought about trying to work that in, but it couldn't really be done because there are a few songs on there that just don't. They're too happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're too upbeat and yeah, too happy. Um, <clears throat> but what I mean by storyboarding is what is, what kind of song is this? What kind of song is that? So we got a Zeppelin sounding song. We got a Janice sounding song. Got, let's, let's write a song that's kind of like a Sam Cooke, Otis Redding song. So we did that with Blue Magic. You know, that's mm-hmm. what we do. We'll put 10 blanks on a piece of paper and say, we need four blues rock songs. We need two experimental songs, two ballads, mm-hmm. a couple of sad songs, and then like a weird experimental song that we've never done before. So we make sure that each one of those requirements is met. And then once they are, those are the songs that go on the album because mm-hmm. our biggest fear is having 10 songs that all kind of sound the same or they're the same genre. They're, they all have the same feel to them. I mean, I'm sick of that. By the third song in, mm-hmm. I'm like looking for the next album I want to listen to because like, mm-hmm. every song is the same. Yeah. And that's what almost everyone is doing right now. And we're trying to avoid that. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why we make sure, like, okay, no more than four blues rock songs on the album. Then do a yeah. couple ballads, have, have a couple acoustic songs, do a sup- couple songs with a slide guitar and open G. You know, we try to make sure every album has a couple things like that so that it all, it's a very diverse and dynamic album. You mentioned the theme, you know. People doing bad things, kind of an outlaw type, yeah. type of yeah. theme to the record. How, how do you? How does that come to be? How does that develop? Is that something going into the, the creative process that you're aware of and kind of the direction you want to go, or does it just happen? The common theme just keeps coming up throughout the songs you're writing. Yeah, I would say it kind of just happens. Um, a lot of times, the the lyrics come from the from the music. Um, so, you know, if he's writing stuff that sounds dark and outlawy, um, I'm going to tend to write lyrics that, that go with that vibe. So that's, that's just kind of how it works. Yeah. And I think it does go back to our roots as fiction writers. So we were trained to tell, you know, when you, when you write a story or a novel, It needs to be an extraordinary story. Yeah, it can't be boring. It can't be something that happens to everyday people and everyday events. It needs to be something very unusual or dynamic or Mm -hmm. dramatic. Yeah. You know, otherwise you don't have a story worth telling. Yeah. And so, um, you know, like a lot of songs these days are just about relationship problems and we broke up and it didn't work out and I'm mad at you. And it's just stupid, insecure, like <laughs> middle school kind of drama like, yeah. that I don't care about. We're Taylor Swift, so, man. Yeah. Like, so when we write a song, we think, okay, what's the story here? We need to tell an interesting story and it needs yeah. to be good. You know, that's how we used to think when we'd start writing an actual mm-hmm. novel and we kind of 
still think that way when we're working on lyrics. Yeah, I mean, we're readers too. So we, you know, we read a lot and we used to write a lot. Um, so it all just kind of blends into our songwriting as well. Mm-hmm. How much of having that background, because I love writing and reading fiction too. It's been a while right. since I've written, but um, I think what's so important about, of course, writing is description and and really yeah. detailing what's happening. How does that interject into your songwriting? Right. So that, you know, that's the hard part. Obviously, you're condensing. You have to leave out a lot of details when you're writing a song. Um, so, yeah, it's it. It's more like poetry, I would say, which I never really got into. Um, but like Edgar Allan Poe kind of poetry, like that kind of like it's a, it's not just words that you have to like kind of figure out what the hell they mean. It's poetry that actually tells the story, but it's just a condensed novel. It's um, it's not easy. I would say it's not easy, but completely different animal, I guess, in that way. It's also choosing the right word. And I imagine that's also very similar in music, choosing the right word to mm-hmm. in, in, in the lyric, in the song. Yeah. Um, and that can be challenging too, because you could sit and go over and over what, what's the right word to put here, or maybe it comes out n- naturally, but sometimes there's got to be that correct word placement. Yeah. Correct word placement. And what's interesting about that is it also needs to, Son- like it has to be sonically pleasing as well so the word can't be something that doesn't sound good sung. so yeah yeah, yeah. i mean because you think about books that you've written you think about a, a passage in a book that was important to the story and how it's mm-hmm. described i mean i think of i mean i've uh, to just use someone that a lot of people know like stephen king stephen king is is extremely descriptive in his his book as most authors are. And he's gotten to this point where you almost come to smell what is happening by reading what's on a page. And, you know, when you're writing songs too, you know, like you said, it's condensed. It's not, you don't have the ability to write 1400 pages of a story or spend three, three pages writing a specific, you know, scene or describe what color, how the, how the weather is that day. It's, it's very difficult to do. So as you got into that process, what are some of the things that you do to try to condense or try to pinpoint the or bullet point the important things in a story you're trying to tell in a song? Hmm. I don't know, Um, because a lot of times I'll um, come up with a melody first. Um. I guess I don't really know. Um, Well, you just got to get to the point more quicker yeah, yeah. like you gotta just get there faster focus on <laughs> great phrases instead of a great paragraph right you know start with a great title and build everything else around that you know um you yeah you because in lyrics you just need great phrases doesn't mm-hmm. even need to be grammatically correct exactly and you don't need a lot of description um the listener will fill that in on their own you just need great phrases that kind of evoke an emotion or an image. Mm-hmm. 
And then, of course, you get to use repetition in lyrics. Yeah. You don't want to do that in fiction. But, <laughs> you know, so there's a few differences that you can make. But I mean, it's kind of hard to describe, though. Um, the, you know, the way I write lyrics is that sometimes it just cut like just flows right out. Um, what for this last for the album we're working on right now, um, on our way down to the studio, I had written the lyrics to, I think, three of the five songs that we wrote. <laughs> so it's, uh, I don't know. Sometimes it just like needs to happen at a certain time for me. I guess I don't know how to describe it. It's very last minute. And from what, from the biographies I've read, um, from singers and other musicians, they kind of work the same way. They kind of like, you know, a lot of guitar parts get written right at the end, right before they're recorded or even in the studio. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the lyrics are, the lyrics usually are the last part written mm -hmm. on rock songs. And they often aren't really filled in until the day they're recorded. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's your deadline. And so that's why you got to book studio time before you write the song. Yeah. Otherwise you'll I'm never record anything. I'm a huge procrastinator, you know, um, so <laughs> being in this band is, has been great for me though, actually, because we're, as you can tell, we're always like, we're always writing, we're always recording. Um, we always want to have stuff to, to put out into the world. Um, but you know, growing up and in and, and high school and all of that, I was always up until four o'clock in the morning, finishing my essay, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> of, uh, so that's kind of how I work. I, maybe I work better under pressure. Um, that's probably what it is. I recently had Scott Stevens on. Scott Stevens is a songwriter and producer. He's written songs with Dorothy and Hailstorm and Aaron Jones. Mm -hmm. And we got to the, to the conversation about songwriting and about how when he was developing his songwriting craft, how he would study the Beatles and not just how they sang, you know, what they wrote about lyrically, but how they, you know, how they merge the note with the approach of the, the singing and how they, with the, with the lyrics and all that stuff that went into how it was layered underneath the, the lyrics and the songs and the hooks and all that stuff. And we got in this interesting conversation and we, we talked about melody versus lyrics. Mm -hmm. What's, what's more important for you? Like, what do you look for more, the melody or the lyric? I would say the lyric. Um, I think melody is important. You don't want, I, I try to not have boring melodies. Um, but if you're saying something stupid, you know, it doesn't matter how good you're singing it. I feel like if you're saying something dumb, it's just going to sound dumb to me and I'm not going to like it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point too, because, you know, using the Beatles as an example, John Lennon didn't focus so much on melody mm. he was trying to get the right turns of phrases and the right Beatles words and you know you know and paul was all about the melody you know and then he would try to find the best lyrics to fit into the melody later on um but both are important yeah clearly if the lyrics are dumb i don't really care how you're saying it mm -hmm. um 
But on the other hand, I hear a lot of songs that could have used some melody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's something that definitely needs to be paid attention to. Are you singing well, the same still. notes over and over? You know, can the melody move up and down? Yes, it always can. Yeah. Does it have to? No. Should it? Sometimes, <laughs> you know, like on the title track for uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, they're singing the same note over and over while the chords are changing. So that's kind of weird. Right. And then there's other songs where the melody's all over the place. And sometimes it's even chromatic, you know, so you can tell they spent a lot of time on it. Yeah. Going uh, back to your influences, we talked about the. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Blues-based rock and, and the influence that you have. I never thought to ask this question, but because the conversation presented itself, is there an influence in your music by what you read um, in, in terms of subject matter, in terms of the approach of dis- of describing something? Is is there a, a merge of influences between reading something and, and listening to something for you guys? Yeah, I would say so. And that's a really good uh, question to ask. It's something we've never been asked before. Um, I've always been t- into, you know, darker darker kind of stuff when it comes to what I read and even what I had written when I was writing novels. Um, 
so that's where you know the dark the darker lyrics come from um but i also like you know adventure um and stuff like that so that's where you'd get like hyro gypsy and 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 all the like funner stuff he's super into westerns um so that would be where we get that kind of outlaw kind of thing going on yeah i mean i like westerns but i also read fantasy science fiction historical horror yeah um every genre imaginable i've read thousands of books so um i think it plays in absolutely you know i grew up reading stephen king and dean Kuntz and bc andrews and edgar Allan poe and then when i was a little bit older when i got into high school i started reading all the classics because i wanted to get to college and i wanted to know all those books you know so i did i got to college and i was like i already read of mice and men mm-hmm. and grapes of wrath and yeah. Charles Dickens, you know, so college was a breeze. Um, and then since then, I just read anything and everything. But mm-hmm. what it, what it comes down to is you got to tell a story worth telling. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the first things you learn when you start taking writing classes in college is, is this even an interesting enough story to tell? Or are you just talking about events? Mm-hmm. It needs to be something extraordinary, something that makes the audience go, wow, I can't, I can't believe that actually happened. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the reader almost has to suspend their belief and choose to believe that it happened, even though it's very unlikely that it happened. And um, the audience is always willing to do that. Mm-hmm. So when you look at how eccentric the characters are in Charles Dickens and the events, like n- these characters, couldn't have existed mm-hmm. these events couldn't have happened but the way he tells it it's so interesting you can't stop reading and Stephen king's even even more so in that regard you know there's no way any of that stuff could happen but you still want to find out what happens next mm-hmm. i would say for songs though it's not you know it's not as much about creating unbelievable or you know, otherworldly kind of stuff because we also want our songs to be relatable. So mm-hmm. there's definitely songs about relationships, you know, and stuff in there. We just try not to make it um cliche. Like we try not to do it in a cliche kind of way. Is what you're listening to in, indicative to what you write, but is also, is it also what you're reading at that time? indicative to what you're writing in terms of music in terms of the mood in terms of the approach could be um right now i'm reading power in the blood by greg matthews it's one of my favorite books this is my second time through it and uh it's kind of a western adventure-y um book and it's kind of dark and i feel like the the songs that we just we were just writing songs last night uh they have a feel they definitely have a, a feel going on with that. So I would say so. Um, and, you know, we're always listening to new stuff, but we're always going back to our, you know, our favorites, our Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple. And, um, you know, we always kind of go back to that, but we are listening to some new people as well. So it it all kind of blends in together. What was yeah. the- oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, like a lot of times we listen to something and decide that's not what we want to do. Yeah, that happens too. That's more likely to happen. 
I spend all day browsing through Spotify, you know, listening to new stuff that's come out and exploring new genres and checking out new artists that I haven't heard before. Um, and some of it I like and some of it I don't. But more often than not, I think, well, that's something that I would never do. Or that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a genre it that I would. you apart, though. It's a genre that I wouldn't want to write and record in. Or it's a sound that I don't like and I, I would want to avoid mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so I guess it goes both ways. It mm-hmm. helps you determine who who you want to be, what you want to sound like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the biggest challenge during this session with these songs that you were creating? Uh, for the fourth album? Yeah. Um, the biggest challenge, and I think it's still the biggest challenge, is not repeating ourselves and not uh, just relying on all of our old tricks and just trying to push our, you beyond the, the boundaries um, of what we're used to, what we've become you know, better at. Uh, just trying to not repeat ourselves is always the biggest challenge for me. Yeah, that's what it is for me, too. Um, last night we were working on two new songs and, uh, you know, I'll come up with the guitar part and Lacey's working on the lyrics and melody over it. And she'll say something like, okay, but you're not going to leave that guitar part exactly like that. Right. And I'm like, no, I'm going to fix it. So it doesn't sound like something I've already recorded. I'll we hold ourselves like we hold each other accountable. <laughs> I'll try to make that. it unique so it sounds like a new song and not a song from the second or third or fourth album. Yeah. You know, like the, that's Billy Joel has a famous quote about that too, is about how songwriting gets harder and harder over the years because you need Great to come time. up with stuff that's just as good or better, mm-hmm. but different. Mm-hmm. So that is, that is difficult. I can only, I can only imagine. You know, yeah. You asked us you on that uh, podcast episode that you did with all things blues and Southern rock. You, I think it was you. I don't know if it was you or Jason, but you were like, what are they putting in their super? What are they putting in their <laughs> stew? It's this, it's, um, it's the accountability and, uh, you know, we're very judgmental, um, of our, ourselves. Yeah. That's the, what song, it is. the songwriting process is not always a very good time. <laughs> because we're um uh, we're very nitpicky on each other mm-hmm. like you know you sing something similar to that in a different song well yeah we've written 50 songs mm-hmm. you know i only have so many tricks in my bag of tricks you know what i mean but i know he doesn't so i can you know make so, sure to try to pull it out of him and same we, we both do it you know i come up with a riff and I might think it's cool or good enough, but it's like not, it's not good enough because it's too similar to something I've done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for now we'll leave it, but before we record it, it yeah. needs to be better. You Sometimes know, that happens in the studio too. Sometimes we're like, that still didn't change enough and, and it'll just become completely di- different in the studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like last night, last night or the night before I had a riff that I was using. At least he's like, oh, that reminds me of something. I'm like, yes, it's just like that riff in Unavailable. <laughs> yeah. See, this is what I'm playing in Unavailable. This is what I'm playing here. It's in different keys. basically the same thing. Yeah. 
Like, it's frustrating. <laughs> but it helps us write better songs. Sure. I, I've talked to artists who, on an album that they're dreaming of, right? There's always that dream process of what <laughs> the album is going to be, what you're creating, what the songs are going to be, that want to go with a vibe on, on each different album. Like, they want to do a Black Crows vibe. They want to do a CCR vibe. They want to do, a, you know, whatever it is. They And they kind of try to follow that vibe throughout the songs. And sometimes it stays that way. Sometimes it is what they want. But sometimes it kind of veers off and goes in a completely different direction just by the organic nature of creating. Is, yes. That's something you guys experience. Yes, absolutely. Uh, although we're not, you know, we're not doing it album by album. It's more song by song. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of times we're going for a certain vibe and it comes out like we get a close, um, but it also comes out completely different than we thought it was going to. Um, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, like right now, the song we're working on is um, inspired by the theme for the good, the bad and the ugly. We're like, let's write kind of like a Western, spaghetti Western, like a kind desert of Western kind of <laughs> creepy song like that. It'd be awesome. You know, I mean, there's not really any vocal in that song, um, but we could figure out a way to get some lyrics in there. Um, so that's what inspired us to begin writing this song. But then we kind of forget about that as we're working on it. Yes, it becomes that's what it is. a bourbon house song. And then at the end, we're like, oh, well, this is. <laughs> kind of far from what we had in mind but that's okay because it's cool and it's unique yeah you know? and then we can also try again you know to get closer another time like who knows <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's been three or four attempts at trying to write a song like since i've been loving you yeah and it always kind of not... goes off and becomes <laughs> what it wants to become you know yeah. like stephen king talks about how the book has a mind of its own yeah and it's going to grow into whatever it's meant to grow into regardless of what you do to it like you might want to write a certain story about a certain thing, but as you write, it just kind of does what it wants to do. And you're kind of guiding the ship a little bit to make sure it doesn't get too crazy. Mm -hmm. But it it has a life yeah. force. And songs do that as well, you know. Like it we we bring the seed to the table and throw some water on it, but the song is going to grow into whatever it wants. That was so writery of you. <laughs> and that was writery of me, wasn't it? <laughs> is it important to have a level of discomfort when you're creating and recording in that it creates tension, which helps you create more differently? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I would say it's necessarily important to have. I feel like ideally not having tension would be great. But having that, I don't know. I don't. You must be the Beatles. Like, I don't know who doesn't have uh, tension when they're writing and trying to create something that they give a shit about. You know, like if you really care about something and you want it to be the best, there's going to be some awkward moments, awkward conversations. Um yeah, it's going to be tense. I think there's always tension. The tension could be between the between the songwriters if they're both in the room working on a song together. Mm -hmm. You might not like each other very much, and a lot of uh, collaborators have been like that. Just look, yeah. look at Journey, and even uh, Lennon and McCartney at certain times toward the end when they're like couldn't stand each other mm -hmm. for a while. Um, 
you know, it's okay to have that tension or just ten- life tension, you know, mm-hmm. you're stressed out about something else and you don't want to like come to the session complaining about it, but it still works its way into the lyrics or into the guitar riff, mm-hmm. which is a little more aggressive than it would have been. Um, yeah, there's always, ten- it's, it's the blues, you know? Yeah. It's like these blues singers, they're always, you know, they always had tension and they were experiencing oppression and hardships that they brought to the music. And I think um, songwriters today do the same thing. Yeah. I think as long as you have respect for each other, you know, then that tension shouldn't matter and it should be a good thing. You should be able to use it in a good way. And that might be why the first album is the best album for a lot of bands, because that was the album they wrote when they were broke. Yeah. (laughs) And they're desperate, right? That's when they had the most emotion going into the songs. And then later on, things get pretty comfortable. And you're like, ah, it's time to record another album, you know? Yeah. What do we write about? I don't know. I got everything I want, you know? As far as tension, sometimes that tension's created by who's in the room with you, you know, a a producer or whoever's in that room helping you make the record. Yeah. Is it is it important for you to have people you know where you know their perspective, or is it important to get a different perspective from each album or each thing you're creating? I like having both. Um, so when we're writing songs, it's me and Jason in the room. We don't really take it to anybody else, whoever is doing our rhythm, we don't take it to them. Uh, until we have like basically the song is written at that point um and now you're doing your drum part you know um where was i going what was the question again (laughs) is it important for you to have people in the room you're comfortable with or people that have a different perspective that kind of maybe creates a little bit of tension yeah i don't like having tension in the room other than with my co-songwriter I don't mind that kind of tension because I can kind of fuel the songwriting process, mm-hmm. but especially when we are rehearsing the song with the band or even recording the song, I don't really want any tension coming from those. Yeah, people. that's <laughs> not a good time to have tension. That's for sure. In the recording studio, it should be pretty not tense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't want the engineer telling us the song's not good enough or you should rewrite the lyrics or maybe you should rearrange the entire song. No, maybe you should just record it. How about that? You know, <laughs> um, there's been a few exceptions where the engineers had a really good ideas that we've used. I'm not saying like, you know, <laughs> that like we're not receptive to ideas. We are. No, we are. And we want to hear them. If if somebody has an idea, I don't care who you are, I'd like to hear what it is. Um, but I don't really want tension or conflict or friction about it. Like I don't want someone coming in saying, I'm going to show you guys how to make your songs good. Mm-hmm. I think the songs are pretty good when we bring them in. So yeah, we're open to. We're open to but... suggestions, but at this point, now that we're on the fifth album, uh, you know, we've kind of really decided how to produce ourselves. Like, I think we know what we want. We know what our audience wants um, at this point, you know, based on feedback and, yeah. Now we're 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 settled, I think. We're, we're settled now. This is who we are. Um 
that's just how it is. If, yeah. if it had happened earlier, you know, in our career, if a producer had come along or a manager or even other band members who were like, you know, super involved, we'd probably be a very different band than we are now. Yeah. At this point, we want it to be as painless as possible. Yeah. You know, I'm willing to accept a little bit of pain in the songwriting process. I think that's unavoidable and sometimes a good thing. But beyond that, I want I want things to be pretty painless. Mm -hmm. So I try to avoid the tension and the conflict and the friction. Yeah. <laughs> As we close, what song defines the fourth album for Bourbon House? Mm. Ah, you're going to choose one? Hmm. That's a hard one. It might be Love is a Killer. No, I think you just like that riff the best. Oh, yeah, it's great. I think Resonate. Um, because it's all about, uh, you know, that song in general um, kind of describes the album. Like, we're, we're all about writing songs that resonate with people, um, either lyrically or emotionally. Um, I think that that would be the song that I would choose. Yeah, that, I, I guess I can go along with that. That is a song that was inspired to be a, a Black Rose kind of song. Mm -hmm. It's an open G. We wanted to use all those open G chord voicings. Yeah. Um, so. And it's also referencing, you know, all the bands that inspire us and the time that inspires our mm -hmm. music. So I think that that would be a good choice. What's next for you guys as we move forward into uh, 2023 and the new album's out? What, what are the plans for the rest of the year? Um, well, we are back in the studio for album number five. Um, and we will be releasing some singles, you know, throughout the year. We have some festival slots coming up. Um, we're at Rockfest. We're at Monster Hall Music Fest. We're at Route 66 Fest. Um, I'm probably, I'm, I'm definitely forgetting some other stuff. Uh, we're in Madison at Bratfest is actually our next one. Um, when is Bratfest? That, that sounds interesting. <laughs> it's the world's biggest Bratfest too. Mm -hmm. Um, it is Memorial Day weekend. Okay. All right. Yeah. We are on the 27th is, uh, the day that we are playing, which I believe is Saturday. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we have some, some fun things going on and, you know, more to come. Awesome. More music videos, all of that stuff. We'll be around. Well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for the conversation. I really do appreciate it. And the album is great. Um, I listened to it once and I have to have, I have to listen to it again. It was really good, but so busy. <laughs> it was like, yeah. I need to put this more, <laughs> you know, but no, it's a really good album. I suggest anyone listening to go out and stream it, buy it, go to bourbonhouse.com and uh, order the, the physical copy. I know you got some autographed copies that you're running low on. Um, so order we're that, out. order t-shirts, yeah, order whatever. Yeah. Thank you. Check out the Etsy store. Yeah, the Etsy store is where we, where you can get sell our signed copies. Signed copies. Okay. Um, sold out the first shipment in less than a week. So but we got more coming. Yeah. Well, Jason Lacey, thank you again. Um, appreciate it. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Take care of each other. Stay safe. And we will talk soon. Thank you.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.